Knight Rider, Season 4, Episode 13. Episode is entitled Killer Kit. Commentary starts in 3, 2, 1. Michael Knight is your target. Okay, so we're getting this uh, sort of preview of what this episode is going to be, and this is a pretty good chance, I guess, for me to just sort of sit here, run my mouth a little bit, and uh, just maybe set the table for this commentary. Honestly, I don't really have any no uh, any notes. I basically got a couple of bullet points for this, and I guess as, as is usual for me on this show, I'm just planning to uh, pants my way through uh, everything else, you know, the rest of this episode. So I guess we'll see how, see how this turns out. Now, I remember the night that this episode aired, and I remember that, you know, basically our custom at the time was to tape the show because not always, but my memory is that usually we were we were busy on Friday nights when when Knight Rider would uh, come on TV, and so there you go, just take the shit. Now here's the thing, guys. Uh, it's fair to ask, I think, why is it that I that I keep coming back to season four of Knight Rider? You know, uh, I did a. Uh, I, I did a show, or not a show, I did a commentary uh, about episode 15, Deadly Nightshade, just ages and ages ago. And so it's maybe fair to ask, why is it that I keep coming back to season four? And partly it's because I've got a strange sense of nostalgia about season four. This is the only, uh, this was the only season of the show that I was really old enough to see as it came on TV. I mean, you know, the, let, let's face it, you know, this this show got started, it was after I was born, but it, you know, it's just, anyway, whatever. Bottom line is, this show, this, this season was the only one that I really was able to stick around for. So, these are the episodes, in a strange kind of way, these are the episodes that I have the most familiarity with. So, but one of the things that I like about season four is how each of the characters, each of the principal cast, they all sort of come up against their own idealism in their own special sort of ways. Does that make sense? Uh, in other words, I, what, what I'm trying to say is just to even be on Team Knight Rider, you know, you need to be an idealist. And this season is when each character's idealism and in, in, in their own unique ways each character had their idealism used against them some more more than others some more often than others but every step of the way you know every single character on this show they found themselves in moments where they had to question is this worth it you know not even am i doing the right thing they know they're doing the right thing what they have to ask is, is this worth it? You know, the price that I have to pay to do this kind of work, is it worth it? And, you know, right here on the semi, what we're seeing is RC3. He's uh, working on his motorcycle. And, you know, this is just to kind of help you, you know, get, get synced up with me. But one of the things that I sort of like, one of the things that I at least find informative about uh, uh, about this episode is basically goings on with Devin. He talks about his 
motorcycle, and it makes it clear that he was in London when uh, the Luftwaffe was uh, basically bombing the shit out of the place. And uh, maybe we should come, maybe I'll circle back to that in just a minute, because I, I do want to talk about that. But basically what we're seeing here right now, this is basically Prosecution's Exhibit A. Why it is that this is arguably the most action-packed episode of Knight Rider's ent uh, entire run. Uh, definitely, I would say, the most action-packed of this season, but arguably the most action-packed of, uh, of the entire run of the series. I could be wrong, but I think that there are more stunts, more car chases, more action sequences, so on and so forth, in this episode than any other in all of uh, Knight Rider history. And so, for that reason alone, it's it's uh, th this. I think is a good candidate for for uh, commentary. And so, um, but anyway, uh, just just to kind of circle back toward uh, you know Devin, my sense of Devin Miles as a person is that this this run of the show, uh, and maybe I would you know just depending on how long Michael drove Kit. You know, it, it's sort of, you know, up for grabs. I would say that at the latest, Michael stuck around until about uh, 1991, 1992, around there. And I think there came a point when Michael would would call it a day, you know. But before that moment, you know, I would say that, you know, M Michael being sort of the lead operative of the Foundation for Law and Government... This is very probably the happiest time of Devin Miles' entire life, you know? This is a guy who I think first discovered his own sense of duty uh, and the responsibility, self-imposed or not, that he has uh, for society during World War II. And I think, you know, this when Wilton Knight caught up with him later on and started talking about how one man can make a difference, not necessarily how one man can save the world single-handedly, but one man can make a difference. Actually, and before I even develop that, we have a Bonnie imposter here who basically made some modifications to Kit. And what this episode kind of needs you to believe is that Kit does not have... Uh, uh, scanners and sensors that are sophisticated enough to recognize somebody um, posing as Bonnie. And I don't think I believe that. I think that just as a matter of standard procedure, number one, Kit would scan everybody that he talks to. And number two, he would be able to spot a, a, a replacement if he needed to. But whatever. There's really no episode if Kit's sensors and uh, scanners are that sophisticated. So, anyway, whatever. But anyway, it's like I was saying, you know, one man can make a difference. You know, the... Uh, when... I, I When Wilton Knight met Devin Miles, and, you know, that's sort of his calling card, right? One man can make a difference. When Devin heard that, one man can make a difference. And again, not necessarily save the world all by himself, but just make a difference, change the odds, make things better for people. I think that would have resonated for, for Devin. His sense of duty uh, towards others, I think, would have been awakened uh, during World War II. 
But, you know, once World War II is over, it's like, what's left? I mean, yeah, there's the fight against the communists, but, I mean, let's face the facts. You know, the Soviet Union is not going to fall because of, you know, Devin working all by himself. uh, Devin Miles cannot bring about the fall of communism all by himself, you know? And so what I think... What I think happened is Wilton Knight uh, trained Devin's attention on matters that are closer to home, you know. Uh, and, and again, it, it's right there in the name, the Foundation for Law and Government. These are the things that are the, the, the pillars of society. And for somebody like Devin, I think learn one of one of the definitely one of the lasting experiences one of the lasting lessons that he would have taken uh from from world war ii is that there are all different kinds of ways um to do the right thing and there are but at the same time i'm not i'm not sure if i'm doing a very good job of explaining this but There's more than one target, okay? There's more than one thing that's wrong with the world. There was more than one thing wrong with the world during World War II, and there was more than one thing wrong with the world after the fall of Berlin. For example, communism. But again, the Soviet Union is not going to fall based on uh, Devin acting... acting unilaterally you know he cannot bring about bring that about he cannot fix that all by himself but there are other things he can do um uh, corruption and crime at different levels of society high level low level the whole thing there are things that Devin can do to make the world a better place and one of the things that i think that he and wilton knight were very well aware of is the reality that look the work that the foundation for law and government does is fine in and of itself. <clears throat> it's fine that that flag uh, interfaces with and cooperates with uh, different levels of law enforcement. It's it, it's a great thing that that flag. They probably have deputization across all fifty states on some level or another. You know, some kind of official recognition from the various state governments from the various local governments, certainly from the federal government. You know, that stuff is all great. But at the end of the day, what they really need is not just a front man in the form of Devin Miles, the guy that can go out there uh, and schmooze with uh, governors, with police chiefs and sheriffs and all that stuff, presidents even, perhaps. You know, it's great that Devin's there, but what they really need is an operative. And let's face it. Wilton Knight kind of strikes me as the sort of guy that would have wanted to be the two-fisted action hero. But let's face it, by the time we catch up with Wilton Knight in the pilot episode of Knight Rider, he's old, guys. He's on his way out. Oh, this is just a fun little action sequence right here where Michael almost gets run over by a car and... Anyway, I'm going to comment more on the plot of this stuff in in just a minute. But what I'm trying to do right now is just set the table on everything else. So anyways, um, Wilton Knight is an old guy. All right. So 
you know, maybe back in the 40s or the 50s or something like that, he could be a two-fisted man of action. You know, but, you, you know, by the time of the Knight Rider pilot, the, the fact is that Flag needs, they need somebody younger, let's face it. And what happens to Michael Knight, let's face it, I think is a, a convenient... The, the the timing there, I think, is that is very convenient for 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 Flag, and I think they recognize in Michael. Yes, he too is an idealist, but he's the rugged, two-fisted uh, uh, idealist. The the sort of basically the cowboy who can who can do the right thing and get the job done in ways that Wilton Knight just can't do anymore. And let's face it ways that Devin Miles just doesn't have in him. You know, he just does not have... Devin Miles, even, you know, even when he was young and he was at his physical peak, he's not the the the, the superhero, the, the crime fighter, the, the young crusader, uh, or rather, no, the young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent. You know, that, it's, that's just not how, how Devin Miles is built. And so I think he sees in Michael Knight really right from the from the start, and certainly as as the series progresses, it's like holy shit, this is working. Wilton Knight had this crazy idea, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, again, I could be wrong here, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know Wilton Knight told Devin Miles his vision for Flag sometime in the '60s or maybe the '70s, and. Devin was a was a little bit of a skeptic, you know. It's not that. It's not that he didn't have the same ideas, the same goals, the same ambitions as Wilton Knight. I just don't think that Devin really believed that they'd be able to assemble the right personnel to pull it off, and yet they did. And when it actually worked, you know, it, too bad Wilton Knight couldn't live long enough to see it himself, but. I think this is the happiest that Devin Miles ever was in his entire life. He was the front man for Flag. He set the agenda. He <clears throat> he maintained uh, relationships with uh, uh, different levels of American government. Uh, you know, again, local government, state government, federal government, all of it, uh, with all the different police forces. Uh, you know, he was the guy that basically could go out there, talk to people, and schmooze and and all of that and it was it was michael who could be their operative he was the guy that could uh take the risks have the car chases foil the crimes arrest the bad guy all that stuff and this is again i just think this is the happiest of the happiest time of devon's entire life and the i think that after Michael, and I think Michael would eventually leave Flag, he's just used up. But until that happened, I do believe this is the high point of Devin's life. And, you know, De you know, Devin, an idealist, Michael, an, I an idealist, Bonnie, everyone is an idealist. And I would say even Kit. And the, the purpose of this season, or at least one of the things that happened quite frequently this season, is that everyone at times had their own idealism used against them. And in this case, 
Kit has his idealism used against him right here in this episode, where he, you know, his trusting and kind of borderline naive nature really did come back to haunt him. And the, oh, you know what I just realized? This woman, the security guard, this is Mama Fratelli from The Goonies. It's like, I always knew I knew her from somewhere, but I guess I was always too lazy to, to check it out. And yeah, but that, that's who she is. She was uh, Ma Fratelli from The Goonies. All right. Well, anyway, so in this episode, like I say, it was Kit who had his idealism turned against him. And, you know, this is, I, I think that the fact that, you know, Kit is... I guess sort of like a walking or rolling, I should say. He's a rolling iPhone, you know, in the 80s. He's all-knowing, but I don't think he's especially, if you catch my meaning, I don't think he's been around the block, you know? Uh, Kit is very naive, and he had a moment of trust in this episode. He trusted the wrong person, and a lot of people almost paid the price for that. Now, one of the things that I kind of like about this episode is the fact that Marco, who is to say the villain of the piece, Marco, he's a, he's got a grudge against uh, against Flag, and we never really find out what all the details are. We're because of the fact that he's a bad guy. I guess you can kind of assume that uh, he's in the wrong. Oh, and I kind of like this too. This is a kind of a neat little story about. Uh, Devon's experiences uh, during the war. Into an RAF station, blackouts as usual, and just as I rode into the station, I was strafed by an enemy aircraft. Of course, I scrambled for cover, and when the smoke had cleared, my motorcycle looked just like yours. All right, I'm back inside, Kit. I'm setting up a remote control. Anyway, <clears throat> that's just a kind of a neat little moment. We never really got a whole lot of information about Devin's background and his backstory and where exactly it was that he came from. But if you if you've got an old British guy on your on your show in the 80s and especially if you have an action show, I mean, shit, why not have him why not set him up as a uh, World War II veteran, you know? And my sense of Devin is that he was maybe like counterintelligence or something like that for uh, Her Majesty. He was, again, he's just not like the, the paramilitary action adventure type, you know? He's, at least when it comes to this, you know, the this particular conflict, you know, we're talking about fucking World War II. He's, again, he's not, he just doesn't seem to me to be uh, a, a soldier. You know, he's the guy that's going to do counterintelligence, or or he's going to be a spy, or or, or this, that, or, the, or you know, uh, I don't know, propaganda or psychological warfare, just fucking whatever, you know. But he's not necessarily going to be the guy that's flying the planes, you know what I mean? So, uh, anyway, that's just my sense of Devin Miles. And it just, it it, it makes sense to me that if you've got uh, a pseudo law enforcement agency that employs a bunch of different idealists on a bunch of different levels, you know, technical 
like Bonnie, uh, leadership like Devin, uh, operate like field operations for Michael. Your your foundation is gonna make a lot of enemies over the years. You know, there are gonna be a lot of people out there that you've rubbed the wrong way, if for no other reason than you've ended their scam. You know, and so it makes sense to me, or for this, or for that matter, you know what else? This could just be a case of uh, somebody at the foundation hiring the wrong guy. I mean, Marco. As we see him in this episode, he seems pretty fucking sadistic, guys. I mean, this guy is a little... He's got a screw loose, you know? And I just like the fact that this is a guy that the the Foundation has not intercepted. This is a guy who has specifically sought the Foundation out, all right? he He's got a grudge, and he wants to settle the grudge. And I just... I, I, I kind of like that because... Number one, it's just, it's a different kind of story to tell as compared to the usual that Knight Rider might get into. Um, It's a different kind of story. It's not some small town in California that has a corrupt sheriff or uh, the evil land developer, you know, because God knows that was a little bit of a cliche in the 90s. You know, on and on and on. This is a different type of villain. And I just, number one, I just like Marco as a villain. And number two, I like the fact that he's got enough wherewithal. He knows to hit the foundation where it hurts. And where it hurts is using Kit against Michael specifically, but I would say against uh, the foundation in general, you know? And I think that somebody who's uh, basically made it their mission to uh, destroy the foundation, I mean, you're almost not doing your job if you don't at least try to to conscript Kit in some way or another into what you're trying to do. And again, guys, look at this stuff. It's Michael. He's on the hood of Kit, and he's getting all bounced around and everything. Uh, Kit's zooming down the road with Michael on top. And this is, again, I mean, I don't, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't remember any other episode of, uh, of Knight Rider having this many, this many stunts, like by numbers. I mean, they may, there may be other episodes that had bigger stunts or more dangerous stunts or something like that, but just in terms of sheer number of chases and stunts and and effects and, and all that fun stuff, I do think this episode is in a category all by itself. You know, because uh, guys, look, I mean, you, you just saw the stuntman, because I refuse to believe that's that's the Hoff on the, on the actual hood of the car. You saw him get bounced like that, and... Guys, you got to understand, I mean, it, it's great to have a stuntman and, and, and everything, but it's like at the same time, you know, that car really is going down the road at 30 miles an hour. He really is hitting a bump. The stuntman really is rising off of the hood for just a second and, and, and bouncing all over the place. There is a chance that he, well, that something bad could happen, put it that way. And I don't know. I just, like I said, I just. I'm well aware of the many weaknesses and problems that uh, season four has, but I don't know. It's just, to me, a good season four episode is a fucking good episode, you know? And I don't, maybe it's just the other thing is this has more of a, this is starting to get into a little bit more of a late eighties 
uh, sort of aesthetic. So whereas I would say the first season of the show, it didn't really have a... Uh, it's not that it that it didn't have the same kind of um, 80s aesthetic, but, you know, it's not like this was an overnight thing, that, like, the minute the, sh the, the clock struck midnight on January the 1st, 1980s, like, aesthetically, everything looked like the 80s. It This just, this season just looks a little bit more 80s flavored to me, you know what I mean? And that's, I guess that's one of the things that I like about it. So, anyways... So, but to actually get into the the nitty gritty of this specific episode, which I probably would want to do since I'm at this point, I think I'm beyond the halfway point of of this episode, is another an, another kind of neat element of this show is the fact that it does, you know, the shtick of this episode is that it does uh, separate Michael from Kit for. I think they come back together for like the last five minutes or something of this episode, but this is it. I mean, basically from, from here on in, you know, this point going forward, Michael and Kit are pretty well separated from one another. And this is a partnership that Michael needs. And we don't really get a sense of it here, but I think that this is a, this is a partnership that I think Kit needs as well. And, I like the fact that, again, that Marco had the brains to divide and conquer. I mean, yes, Kit, it, if, if you can find a way to conscript Kit into your own purposes, that's a good thing to do. But I like the idea that, that Marco was basically trying to drive the knife a little bit deeper in, uh, in, into Flag's back, their collective back, I suppose, by using Kit as a weapon against Flag itself. That, to me, is just... That's just a good idea. And... Honestly, I mean, I, I don't think yes, Knight Rider as a TV show was ever in danger of letting us forget about what Michael's uh, strengths and talents and abilities were. Did you say Berio? You look like you've just seen a ghost. Worse, an enemy. Long before any one of you had joined the Foundation while Kit's systems were still being conceptualized, Marco Berio worked under Dr. Albert as a CPU specialist. And to make a long story short, he claimed that he had not received the recognition he deserved, so he left, threatening to destroy Flag. Well, he's off to a heck of a start. Next stop, Berio Electronics? That's right. But you need wheels. So we get a little bit of a... Sneak up on him in a semi. Marco's backstory there, his history, his point of view, and I don't know. I guess you could maybe, you know what, Michael's about to uh, drive off on RC's motorcycle. Maybe this is like the Street Hawk episode of Knight Rider. I guess we'll have to ask Andy Leyland about that. I don't know that uh, Andy actually listens to my show. But if he does, uh, Andy, uh, what do you think? Is this the, the Street Hawk episode of, of Knight Rider? But like I say, I mean, this does go a long way towards showing what Michael's capabilities are separate from and independent of Kit. And I guess another thing is, you know, Kit has been effectively reprogrammed in this episode. So whereas Kit normally would be all about the preservation of life, 
that does not necessarily apply in this episode. And again, you could see this as Kit's idealism not necessarily being used against him in a certain way, but more that what is he without his conscience? What is he, what is Kit without his humanity? And the answer to that is he's a fucking killing machine, or at least he's capable of it. Now, he doesn't actually kill anybody in this episode, but that's not necessarily for any lack of trying. And, you know, left to his own devices, I mean, you know, Kit is basically Terminator on wheels. And I just kind of like the fact that, you know, this kind of, this episode kind of shows us who Kit is by showing us who he isn't. You know, so I just, I don't know, I, I like that. Now, scenes like this are, they tend to be a little bit more mechanical in nature. My, there's certain information that Michael needs to find. This warehouse is the place where he can find it. And so this is where he goes looking for it. And I guess somebody thought, somebody involved with writing this episode thought, well, you know, we have all of these chases and everything that's that are going on in other parts of the episode, and that's fine, but uh, we need another chase or fight, or we need something to happen in this warehouse because I just don't think we have enough action in this episode. It's like, what the fuck was the budget like for this episode? It just makes you wonder. But uh, anyway, so uh, one of the things that I didn't really fully elaborate upon, uh, I started talking about it earlier, uh, we were not home uh, the night that this episode aired. I do remember specifically that we were at uh, my uh, aunt and uncle's house, and I, my, my usual preference would have been, even knowing that this episode was going to be taped, still watching it live if I could. And wasn't really able to do that uh, the night that this episode aired. And I, at one point, I think it was my aunt, she was just flipping through the channels on the TV and zipped right past this episode. And, oh my God, how badly I wanted to tell her, oh, flip it back, flip it back, I, I, I want to see what happens. And it was basically that moment where Kit is bearing down on Michael and is about to run him over. It's that moment, you know? And then, of course, Michael does the sort of commando roll out of the way at the last minute. But, you know, that was the moment that, that she zipped past. And uh, anyway... I, there was some kind of an occasion. It was like it was somebody's birthday, maybe, or uh, somebody graduated from... I don't remember, but there, this was... This was... Um, this was some kind of a special occasion. I mean, we, like I say, we weren't necessarily home on Friday nights anyway. I mean, sometimes we were, sometimes we weren't. But specifically for this, there was some other thing that was going on. And that I that I do remember, for sure. But one of the things that I like, again, about this episode is is the fact that it has so much action. I mean, uh, again, Michael's about to do this super jump over those... In fact, he's doing it right now. This super jump through those boxes. And um, might I have wanted him to have like a fist fight or, or, or something like that with uh, uh, Marco's goons? Well, you know what? Maybe so. Maybe, you know, maybe that would have been... that. Oh, come on. Who would... 
It's like, how could you possibly miss at that? I mean, I get it. It's like, how, how, do, how, how is it that everyone on the A team always missed? Well, they missed, but it's like, how the hell do you miss at that range? But they did. So anyway, one of the kind of weird things about, about this episode is uh, Marco's little mall there. She actually does have a conscience, but like her hair, she has that kind of 80s sort of poofy short do that I remember was kind of popular back then. And I remember that one of my other aunts had a hairstyle kind of similar to that. You know, it was, uh, it, it was a lot like that, in fact. You know, I think parted sort of the other way, but, you know, it was the same basic style. And, you know, I mean, I think the way that that a lot of kids relate to uh, what they see on TV is how does that relate to the people that they know their friends, their family, their neighbors, or at least that's how I processed a lot of stuff that I would see on TV. And I think probably the show I watched the most often was Knight Rider. And yeah, it just, that's just always what it, what it reminded me of. Now, her behavior, her voice, her body language, I would say even the rest of her appearance, totally different, but that one thing, yeah, that's, that's definitely who she reminded me of. I forget the woman's name, like the character's name, but yeah, that's that's who she reminded me of. So uh, anyway, so now, Michael, basically what we have really from here on in, this is all very mechanical uh, type of stuff. Michael found the secret plans that basically tell him what the bad guy's target is, and now they're, they're uh, tracking Kit. And so here we're about to get yet another... car chase basically and again one of the things that that you need to that you need to find a way to convince yourself of in order to uh, buy into this episode is number one that you know kit wouldn't be able to uh, spot michael literally from a mile away uh number two that even if he can't that he wouldn't be able to easily outrun uh michael it's just you know especially on that little dirt bike looking thing that rc has I mean, I don't know, again, if if you can't accept that, you know, then obviously there there is no episode, so you kind of have to, well, actually there is an episode and everybody fucking dies, I mean, that's, maybe that's the real thing, but like I say, you know, it, you kind of need to somehow convince yourself of something stupid in order to buy into that part of it, so whatever, I'm willing to convince myself of something that stupid just to buy into it, but again, I mean, you know, here, this is the convention center, right? And Devin is giving some kind of a keynote address, or God only knows. And this, I think, is Devin in his element, right? This is what Devin, this is the function that he serves at, at Flag. He doesn't just give Michael or, or RC or Bonnie, he doesn't just manage them. He manages Flag. He's Flag's front man. You know, uh, he's the guy that anyone who's going to deal with uh, Flag on sort of a business level or professional level, Devin's going to be the guy that that they meet. You know, and um, I don't know. now the other thing is what it would take to re 
to rewire Kit to completely change his personality. Actually, you know what? I could believe that they're just putting one magical circuit board inside of Kit's, uh, I don't know, motherboard. Maybe that would do it. Because, I mean, you know, this, this was the 80s, so they wouldn't necessarily have zero insertion force um, uh, uh, computer equipment. But, you know, yeah, I can believe that one... One circuit board really could make that big of a difference. And I don't know. I mean, again, it's one of those things that you kind of have to believe that changing out one circuit board on a kid's motherboard, that's that's enough to to switch kid around completely. Right. But, you know, here we've got yet another, like I say, yet another chase, uh, a car chase where Guys, it looks like they're on a straightaway. And you mean to tell me that that Kit can't easily outrun? Again, this just looks like a dirt bike that RC has. And what, Kit can't outrun that? And uh, he's uh, his his speedometer said he was doing less than 70 miles an hour. And I can assure... And again, I mean, that's how fast we're supposed to assume they're going. It doesn't look like they're going anywhere even remotely close to... Uh, 60 miles an hour. So I don't know, but you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. And there's another stunt, you know, the stunt man, uh, hopping off of uh, the motorcycle and on top of kit. It, um, you know, one of the things that I will say though, is that for these, these, uh, sequences where kit is, uh, self propelled and is basically driving himself, you, in, in the fourth season, uh, whoever, is responsible for for that stuff you very rarely see the guy who's sitting literally inside of the driver's seat and is steering kit you very rarely see that guy anymore whereas you would see him all the fucking time uh back in back in uh, season one if you looked close you would see that uh the the uh, front or rather the uh, driver's seat it would have it, it was just shaped differently from the the passenger seat. And the reason for that is because there was a stuntman who was sitting, again, inside of the fucking seat, and he was the one that was actually driving Kit, or steering at least. I think maybe they, they had somebody who was sitting in the back seat, and he was the one that was working the pedals and everything. I never completely figured out how it worked, but, I, but I'm telling you, in the first season, you can see the guy, the stunt guy, the stunt driver, who was driving... Uh, or at least steering kit. And, um, you just don't see him as much in, in season four. So, uh, now probably the biggest stunt of this entire episode is we're about to see it. It's kit. Uh, he's basically just smashing through, uh, the glass wall at the uh, convention center. And, he actually makes it pretty far inside of the building. I mean, guys, watch for yourself. Here we go. Three, two, one. Ba-bam! And he's gonna... And God, can you imagine what that stunt guy had to have gotten paid? I mean, look how close he came to getting it right there. And um, Kit drives pretty fucking far. Or the car drives pretty far inside of the uh, convention center. And... 
Wow. I mean, it's that, it, it's that close, you know? And I mean, how much does that really cost uh, to do? I'm, I, I'm not, I, I have no idea, but that number one, it's just a, it's a hard thing to stage manage from a technical standpoint. Number two, it's got to cost a fucking fortune, you know, uh, just on and on and on, you know, just so fucking many stunts in, in, in this, uh, in this episode. And they all look great, you know, and, uh, I, I, I stand by my claim that this episode has more stunts than, than at least anything else in this season. I, I, I will confidently say that as to maybe the rest of the series as a whole, maybe I shouldn't speak too out of turn on that. So I don't know. Now, this is this is season four, so you've got to be kind of sure that there's a there's going to be a sequence where Kit goes into super pursuit mode, and kind of like everyone else, I don't really like super pursuit mode, and the reason for that is because Kit is already really fucking fast. And so what Super Pursuit Mode does is it makes it makes them less aerodynamic and it makes him go faster, you know? And I just I just don't really like it. You know, I don't like conceptually, I don't really like it. And so maybe if super pursuit mode was something else. Maybe if there was a, like a time limit on super pursuit mode, like you can only use it for two minutes, you know? Um, and if maybe instead of making kit look like a spaceship or something, what if instead it like the, the car ch changes from black to white or black to red or, 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 or something, I don't know. But it just, this idea of super pursuit mode, it basically makes Kit less aerodynamic. It makes him go faster without any kind of limit. It's like, why would you ever not use super pursuit mode except for the fact that it's butt fugly, you know? Um, why would you ever not use it, you know? And um, I don't know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense, you know? So like I say, if it would result in some other kind of less obnoxious visual difference between uh, regular cruise versus super pursuit mode. And if there was like a time limit to it, like you can only use it for so long and then you have to go back to normal, you know, I would, I, I well, I probably still wouldn't like it, but I could at least tolerate it a little bit more, but it's just the way that it is right now. It's just, just so stupid. I just don't like it, you know, but whatever. Um, I don't know. In general, I would say that season four is not the best of the show. I would say it is underrated. Not again, not the best, but it is better than its reputation would lead you to believe. I mean, you want to see a shitty fourth, uh, fourth season of any show. Why don't you go uh, check out the dreaded fourth season of Smallville sometime? I mean, that is uh, just a shitty fourth season of a show. And yet here we've got another car chase. I mean, guys, this thing is just filled to overflowing 
with car chases, with stunts, with crashes, with explosions, this, that, and the other thing, gunfights, the whole thing. I mean, this episode is just one big action sequence, you know? And, um, and that's not a criticism either. I mean, sometimes you need these, these big action showcases, you know, I, I rather enjoy it. And again, to me, it just speaks to the fact that this episode, not this, well, this episode, but this season is, it's just, it's better than its reputation would lead you to believe, you know? Now, one of the things that we kind of have to, we, we, again, kind of have to convince ourselves of is that Kit is not capable of uh, jamming this uh, RV's brakes uh, and then, you know, just locking their doors, calling the police, and then letting the cops deal with it. But, um, uh, anyways, whatever. We're about to get a fist fight. Um, it's going to be RC and Michael versus Marco and his goons. And again, it's just so fucking many action sequences, uh, in this episode. And even Kit gets in on the act at one point. I mean, that's a whole other degree of difficulty right there. My memory, we haven't gotten to it yet, but my memory is it's ultimately Kit that delivers the coup de grace to Marco, you know? Um, but, uh, anyway, so we're about to get... Oh, yeah, God, I forgot about this. This is one of those things where I kind of like that there there are times when Michael and Kit, they would fight smarter, you know, like they'll trick the bad guys into thinking the cops are on the way, even though they're not. And um, I don't know. It's, uh, I dig that. And so here we've got, uh, this is another fist fight. And I will say that one of the things that, that Knight Rider does pretty well is uh is a uh, fist fights you know uh the, and i say that because you know when i was when i was younger i don't want to sound like you know mr internet tough guy or anything but when i was younger i got into a lot of fist fights because i had a lot of anger management problems and i gotta tell you i i wouldn't say this just any time but i actually had i i actually did win a couple of those fights using some of michael knight's moves right here watch Bam! Right to the face. Like you got some guy holding you from behind. So you, you kick the guy that's in front of you to the right in the right in the face. I actually did that to somebody back in the seventh grade. And uh and it was self-defense. I mean, you know, it really was. I mean, they're the ones that started it, not me, but whatever. Anyway. But yeah, so my point is, you know, these uh these uh fight scenes that uh Knight Rider does. They're actually, they're actually pretty good. I, I, I'll say that, you know, especially for 80s TV. These are some pretty, pretty decent fight scenes. So, and then of course we get this bit here and now where the end ends happily and I just like it, especially since it's nighttime and, you know, the car just looks so amazing at night. You know, not least because Kit is black and he's got all these different lights and everything. It just looks so cool. And, uh, I don't know. Just really dig this episode. This is just, I dig this season. Again, I will be the first to acknowledge season four is not Knight Rider's best. All right. But it is a lot better than most people seem to want to admit. And what I like about it is again i mean other episodes deal with it in other ways but the it seems like the common denominator in various of these episodes is that various of these characters uh 
various of these characters, they they all basically have their their sense of idealism, their sense of justice used against them. You know, they pay a price at some point for being associated with the Foundation for Law and Government. Kit paid it in this episode, but other characters pay it in other episodes. And I don't remember that being. I don't. I don't know if I would call it exactly a theme in this episode, but. Or this season, I should say. I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it a theme in this season, but it is certainly a recurring element, which I guess I suppose could arguably make it a theme, but whatever. I don't know if that's a theme in the previous seasons quite as much. For whatever reason, it's just more noticeable here to me in season four that, you know, these characters basically have their own their own morality, their own sense of right and wrong, their own sense of justice perverted and then used against them and you know at different times and again in different ways and i would even say at times for different purposes you know in deadly nightshade i forget the the guy's name but basically the traitor in that episode the flag traitor he basically was betraying flag in general and devon in particular my memory of it is it was for money now, I may be wrong about that. It's Obviously, it's been forever since I've seen Deadly Nightshade. Last time I saw it was when I recorded the commentary that I long ago released. But my memory of it is that he, he sold Flag out for money. That's how I remember things going. So, like I say, I don't even know what my fucking point was anymore. But like I say, different characters get get their their sense of justice used against them in different ways throughout this throughout this season but that does seem to be really the common denominator at least for me uh that I've noticed cuz I did this big season 4 rewatch a few weeks ago and I I just I I noticed it's like wow you know these these weird moral conf- the same moral conflict seems like it's popping up again and again and again you know, in different, again, different ways, different manifestations, it affects different characters, it arises in different ways, it happens uh, for different purposes, and in each of these stories, different, uh, each of these episodes, different, you know, plots and stories and narratives and all that stuff, but it's like the same element keeps coming back again and again and again, you know, and it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, this episode, uh, or, or Night Rider as a TV show was it was typically long on action and long on story, not necessarily long on, on on character. There are times when it could be kind of short on character, in fact. And so, or at least a lot of the character development, it was more like it was implied. But this season, maybe somebody just knew that this was the end. And so they wanted to go maybe in a slightly more sophisticated direction. And of course, I'm saying, I'm talking here about literary sophistication in the episode that I myself believe is the most uh, stunt-filled, action-packed, explosive episode of Knight Rider's entire run, possibly ever, but certainly for this season. So, I don't know, take all that for whatever you think it's worth. So, and there you go. That is Knight Rider, uh, season four, episode 13, Killer Kit the commentary and uh all in all i really enjoy this episode it's certainly one that i've got a lot of fond memories of certainly not from watching it live as it happened but you know watching the taped episode once i once we finally got home from 
whatever it was that we were doing at my aunt and uncle's house. I don't know. Just really, uh, really enjoy this episode. So I think that's it for Killer Kit. Now, as to next week, the plan is for me to get together to uh, talk about Spider-Girl number two and number three uh, with uh, Scott Rifen, formerly of Dinner for Geeks fame. Now, the reason I'm kind of emphasizing that this is the plan is because sometimes things can go wrong and that's no that is no reflection on on Scott he's a great guy and you know generally speaking I'm sure his word is his bond but he and I have not recorded that episode yet so there is a possibility however remote that we that something could happen and for whatever reason <clears throat> we can't record uh, can't record the episode but right now okay at this moment that is the plan so anyway so i think that's pretty much it for me for this week so bye everybody i will see you next week So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes, 
just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Oh, 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 oh,